Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to return to 1 Samuel and we're going to move into chapter 2 and we're only going to look at 10 verses uh, this time. And we're, what we're going to look at is Hannah's song. Uh, it's going to be 1 Samuel 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. We're going to pray one more time. Father, as we now enter into the study of the Word of God, we want to be just receptive to your Spirit, what you would say to us, the application that you have for us. Um, thank you for this wonderful um, prayer that's recorded in the Bible for us. An expression of a woman who was barren, a woman who was touched by Almighty God, a woman who was able to say that if you will uh, bring life where there was once barrenness, I will give that child to you, Lord. And a woman who followed through on her vow. Her husband was right along with her and said, whatever seems best to you, that's what we'll do. And they really gave their son back to you. And Lord, I believe that that's really where it all starts. When we're willing to say, Lord, whatever gifts you've given to me, I will give back to you in service of the king and the kingdom. I don't think Hannah fully knew what that would mean as Samuel would anoint David and then through the line of David would come the Messiah. And another young lady, Mary, would sing a song in very similar pattern to Hannah's song. A song of grace a young lady who had been really a channel of grace. And so, Lord, since we are the church that has experienced the grace of God, uh, I pray tonight that we'll find our melody in this song, uh, a song of our hearts that we can express to you, and that will be the reality of not only um, what we want to say to you in worship, but how we want to live tonight. And so we lay this time at your feet. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, when we looked at 1 Samuel 1, we were introduced to the players of 1 Samuel, the major characters. We know Samuel uh, is the major character in the book, among others. We'll, we've talked about Saul, and we've talked about uh, David. But in the, the first chapter, we were introduced to Hannah. Her name means grace. And so the, you could say that tonight, we will really study Grace's song, or if you want to put it this way, a song of grace. And uh, grace is always one of those things that probably more than anything else um, motivates and um, causes songs to break forth from my heart. And I'm sure that your heart is the same. It's always when I see God's grace poured out in my life and the bigness of God that uh, songs flow, I think, the most is when I've you know, experience God's grace. Hannah's song is nothing less than that. It is sung as a response to God's incredible work in her life. Uh, The first verse of 1 Samuel 2 opens this way. It says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn, ESV says, My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. 
So the first verse of Hannah's song, or the song of grace, opens, then Hannah prayed and said, my heart. And she begins now to name three places where she will express God's touch, her heart, her mouth, and her strength. Um, These are uh, all key words, and I I would say that, first of all, whenever God is doing something in your life, it's always going to start in the heart. The heart in Hebrew thought, as I think everybody in this room probably knows, is not your beating organ in the middle of your chest as much as that is a majestic creation of God, but your heart in Hebrew is your core. That's probably the simplest way to put it. In Hebrew thought, whenever you say your heart, when you, whenever you pray from your heart or you do something from your heart, it's from your core. It's from your innermost being. It's from the place where you make your decisions. You could say not only the seat of your emotions, but your mind, your will, your intellect, everything that you are. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In Daniel 5.22, Belshazzar is confronted, and he is told, You have not humbled your heart. In Daniel 10.12, it says, From the first day that you set your heart on understanding and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. In Matthew 6.21, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew 18.35, Jesus says, So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. Mark 12.30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In John 14.1, before Jesus goes back to be with the Father, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In John 16.22, Jesus says, Right now you have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy from away from you. In Romans 10.9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know the ho- what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And in Ephesians 5.19, Paul says, Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. I could give you a lot more, but I think you see that both in the uh, Hebrew Scriptures and in the New Testament, the heart is really where God works. It's where he's concerned. It's where he expects appropriate responses. And it's really what he wants uh, in terms of where he wants to work. Jesus says, these people confess me with their lips, but remember their hearts are far from me. So whenever we're looking at our walk, whenever we're trying to analyze, you know, where are we at with the Lord? What, what is it that God wants? He, he really wants an open heart. He wants a, a heart that's wide open to his work. He he has made it very clear throughout the scriptures that he does not enjoy robotic religiosity. He doesn't want us to go through, simply go through the motions. He doesn't want us to sing songs without it coming from our hearts. 
He wants our hearts. That's the main message. And from the heart, Hannah prayed. From the core of who she was, 1 Samuel 2, 1, she said, my heart exalts in the Lord. The word exult is found in Romans 5, 2 and other places in the Bible. And it means to vaunt, to boast, to glory, to joy, and to rejoice. My heart uh, glories in the Lord. You could say it this way. And my horn, which is, sounds strange to us, is exalted in the Lord. In the Lord. Now, the ESV has it as my strength, but the, the metaphor is an animal metaphor. It pictures an ox or something like that. And a horn is strength. That's, that's the biblical metaphor. And so you'll see that, for example, in Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, when kingdoms and kings are mentioned, there's a little horn and, and so forth, and there's a larger horn. And the idea is of kings and kingdoms and strength. And so what Hannah, in essence, is saying is, Lord, you've touched my heart, and I'm going to exalt you from my heart, and you've lifted up my strength. Uh, some have even argued that the metaphor means that when an animal uh, uh, gored another animal and had it down and he, he was victorious over it, he would kind of raise his horn in victory. And that may be the picture here that Hannah is capturing of, a, of, a, of strength that's been raised again. Now, her strength was depleted in chapter 1. She was a woman of bitter soul. If you go back to chapter 1, just look at verse... Um, uh, let's go back to verse 7. It happened year after year, 1 Samuel 1, 7, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, that she, that's uh, Penina, would provoke her so that she wept and would not eat. Skip down to verse 10. She was a woman greatly distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Um, after Eli confronts her about what she's doing, she, she says to him, verse 15, Hannah said, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. She was a woman that was poured out. Strength was depleted. She was barren. She was beat up by life, and she had poured out her soul to the Lord. And now, after the son of her prayers has come into uh, existence and God has answered her prayer. She's a woman of renewed strength. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. God is the one who clothes us in strength. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The, long, the Lord wants to make you strong where you were once weak And he often will take barren seasons of your life to fill in weak places where you never thought you could be strong. As a matter of fact, I found in my own life that the the places in my life that I was the weakest, God has made me the strongest. Like, Like areas where, have you ever done this before, where you said, God, I'll do anything in the kingdom except this. And God says, that's where I'm calling you. Now, if you've ever asked the why question as to why God works that way, here's why. Because he wants you fully dependent on him. And he knows that if he puts you in a situation where you may not feel that comfort in terms of your own abilities, God's got you right where he wants you. (laughs) Because what he wants you to do is to be fully dependent on him and say, where I was weak, now I am strong. 
And that's why Paul could say, I'll even rejoice in my weaknesses because God's strength will come through my life. So Grace's song is, my heart exalts, my strength is exalted, he's lifted me up again, uh, 1 Samuel 2.1. And my mouth, whenever God touches my heart and renews my strength, it's bound to come out of my mouth. <laughs> but notice that her prayer says, my mouth speaks boldly. You would think that at this point she would say something about the Lord, but she actually turns it around and says, my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. Now, the first thing I thought of was her provoker, Panina. Because Panina, I told you her name probably means pearl, but she was a pain, man. (laughs) She had all the kids. Hannah was barren, and she was making fun of her. And we drew some analogies last time we were together to sometimes you have a co-worker who ridicules you for your faith. Sometimes you... You know, you're in a situation where a family member is always a thorn in your side or something's going on. And I would think here that maybe it would be enemy singular because in the immediate context, we would think that Hannah's doing a little victory dance. I mean, amen? We've all been there right before. <laughs> okay, Penina. You know, no more of that's going on because this child has come and you can now shut up. I mean, that's how we'd really want to put it, right? Be quiet. Uh, and, you know, I think there's, in the Bible, there's a place for that. I'm not always sure what the appropriate <laughs> place is for that. But I think there's a time when the enemies of God will be silenced. I'm not sure it's our job to always decide when that should happen. But she says, my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. Now, I mentioned to you that Hannah whose name means grace, becomes a figure for the nation of Israel. Remember, there's been 200 years from the time of Joshua's uh, leading the people into the promised land, 200 years of chaos and barrenness in Israel. As a matter of fact, it's captured in the words of Judges, I think it's uh, the very last verse of Judges where it says that every, there was no king in Israel and everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. It was a barren time for Israel. It was a chaotic time. It was a time with no leadership. It was a time when the nation was very empty. And Hannah is experiencing a barrenness that really pictures the nation's barrenness. And so she prays. She pours out her soul. God's got her attention. She's ridiculed. She's beat up. And she begins to pour out her soul. And she begins to say, Lord, if you'll grant me this request, I will give back to you what you give to me. And we find out in chapter 1 that the one who is responsible for closing her womb is God. Now, I can't figure out all those things. I can't answer all those questions. But I know that 1 Samuel chapter 1 is saying that God is sovereign over Hannah's situation. That what has occurred and the time that has elapsed and even her own pain has prepared her for a season of joy and usefulness. She's not just having kids. She's had a boy now who will become a kingmaker, a boy who will anoint ultimately David, the man after God's own heart, who will become the channel for the Messiah. I don't think she really could have seen that. I don't think she, you know, when, when the son came and even when she said, I'll make him a Nazarite, a razor will never touch his head and so forth, I still don't know that she really understood the full implications of who this kid would be. He would anoint 
the, the, the great King David and, and all of these things would occur. And I mentioned to you, I'm not making any promises from the pulpit, but I've often seen this both in the Bible and in practical experience that sometimes a season of barrenness does prepare you for a season when God will work in surprising ways in your life. And so we notice that she exalts the Lord. She exalts him. She, she, uh, this speaks of her raising God up. God is on high and her heart is lifted up to the heights. Uh, have you ever felt that way in worship? You know, where you begin to get maybe a deeper picture of God and his grace and all of a sudden your, your soul is just lifted up. It feels like you could just go to heaven right now. I had that experience some years ago when my mother was a Roman Catholic and she had grown, uh, raised me in a Roman Catholic household. But my family got away from church when I was about 13 and uh, time elapsed and I did a lot of dumb things and I came back to the Lord in my early 20s. And I eventually was ordained and became a pastor. My mom uh, was still very much steeped in Roman Catholic tradition and um, so I was praying for her and she would come to the church but not all the time. And she was kind of picking apart the church building. Why, why isn't there a cross there? And why not this? And why not that? And so we would talk. And, and finally, one day, I pulled into our home's parking uh, into the driveway. I locked the doors and I said, Mom, you're going to listen to me. And she said, what, 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 what? And I said, do you know Jesus? Of course I know Jesus, Michael. And we began to talk a little bit. And uh, it was an Easter Sunday. I had preached the message on the resurrection. My mother was there. And I had closed my eyes. I had given an invitation for people to come forward. And I opened my eyes and my mother was at the bottom of the pulpit in tears. And my mom is not somebody to be really emotional. And she was just crying like a baby. And my mom gave her heart to the Lord. And I remember that I said at that moment, the Lord can just take me to heaven right now. You know, that, that's a little, little bit of what I think Hannah's going through. I think she's feeling that, you know what, God, you have done such an incredible work in my life that it's just, it's just huge. Now, what I want to do is show you the parallel song to Hannah's song. It's Mary's song. It's found in Luke chapter 1. So um, scholars have pointed out, and I think it's going to be become pretty obvious, that Mary's song is, in, is very similar to Hannah's song, Luke chapter 1. Mary's song comes on the heels of the annunciation that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. You can imagine how incredibly blown away she was. And so in Luke 1, starting in verse 46, this is what Mary says. Uh, One writer says, Mary's song is a virtual collage of biblical texts. It's known in Latin as Mary's Magnificat. Mary's mind was full of scripture and sacred phraseology from which from what she had heard both in the synagogue and at home. So when the Holy Spirit came upon her, he took what she had had and wove it into this hollowed tapestry. The Magnificat was a poignant, profound, divine human composition. It is nothing less. It opens in the um, famous translation from the Latin Bible, Magnificat Anima Mia Dominum. It says, and Mary said, Luke 1.46, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Now when Mary gets the annunciation that she's going to be the channel for the Messiah, she begins to use what's known as Hebrew poetic 
parallelism. She says, my soul and my spirit. Notice in 46, my soul exalts. In 47, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. You could say that Mary's putting it this way. She's saying, in my heart of hearts, I'm exalting God. I am rejoicing in the Lord. Literally, you could say it this way, my soul makes great the Lord or my soul enlarges the Lord. Mary knew that she could not make God bigger But in this moment, she was seeing him in bigger ways. Can you guys resonate with that? You know, my praise can't make God any more or any less than what he is because he is who he is. He's God. But sometimes in moments of praise, he becomes bigger to me. And when he becomes bigger to me, my problems become smaller. Amen? Now that's part of what's going to unfold in Hannah's song is, since her God has become bigger to her, her problems have become smaller. I often have things come across my desk, so to speak, that are much bigger than me. And I do probably what a lot of you do. I, for a moment, take a couple of deep gulps. Uh, I do something like this. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. And then I start thinking, wait a minute, this isn't my church. (laughs) This is God's church. Lord, if you want this to happen, it's going to happen. And so I'm not going to do any myself or anybody any good, and it's not going to increase my faith by jumping up and down or you know having a little uh, pity party or tizzy fit or whatever you guys want to call it. It just it does no good. In, in chapter 1, Hannah poured out her request when it looked uh, like nothing was going to happen. And so... I've noticed that the truth is that the closer I get to God, the bigger I realize that he is. And my spirit rejoices. Literally, we could say, Mary says, my spirit jumps for joy in God my Savior. Amen? Now, hold your place in Luke 1. We'll come back there, and let's go back to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. Verse 2. (laughs) That's why I told you only 10 verses tonight. Now, when you get in touch with God's bigness, these are things that start to come out of your mouth. Look at verse 2, 1 Samuel 2. There is no one like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides thee, nor is there any rock like our God. Now, when I have had moments like this, and I think we can all resonate with this, and I've been able to see the bigness of God, and I, I think it's never more personal than in your own immediate situation. Let's face it, you know, God does something. It, it often comes out of left field. It's not what you expected, but it's much bigger, much more gracious than you ever could have dreamed. That's when it really hits home. When somebody else is telling you about their experience, you can relate, you can rejoice with those who rejoice, but there's just something when God does something in your life. And She says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. You are the rock. The word holy speaks of God's otherness. It speaks of God's being set apart. Holy means to be sanctified or set apart. It means to be moved from ordinary use to extraordinary use. It's God taking the normal, ordinary, and using it for sacred purposes. That's what it means for you to be holy. 
It means you're going to get out of the rat race and say, God, make me holy as you are holy. Set me apart for your divine purposes. I did that some years ago in response to the grace of God. I said, Lord, since you have saved me, I know you have a plan for my life. And so set me apart for what you have for me to do for your kingdom. I don't, I've never been one to want to sit on the bench. So I, I prayed many times, Lord, show me what you have for me. Uh, teach me what your ways are. Teach me how to share the gospel. And to be holy is to be like God, to be set apart from the ordinary. God is obviously the category of, he's, he's the definition of holiness If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Whenever the Lord does something special in our lives, you know, one of the beautiful ways to express it is through a song. And in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10, we have what's called Hannah's song. And Hannah's song centers on the person of God, or it centers on the worship of God. And she begins the prayer this way. Hannah prayed and said, My heart, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn or my strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. When did Hannah, or her name really means grace, pray this prayer? Did she pray it at the temple in Shiloh? The content of her prayer shows her depth of relationship and knowledge of God. It involves praise and it's also prophetic. It's a psalm of thanksgiving and one of the greatest ways that we can respond to what God has done in our lives when he births something new in our lives is to express it in worship. And worship is not just singing a song, but singing a song to the Lord is an aspect of worship. It is one way that we express worship. And Hannah's song does exactly that. You know, singing to the Lord and telling him how grateful we are for who he is and what he's done for us should be the natural part of every Christian life. And I know for some people, sometimes it feels a little strange. It's a new thing to sing. Uh, You know, maybe you didn't sing much growing up, but all of a sudden you become a Christian and you realize that a good portion of what we do, like on a Sunday morning at a service, is we sing. And Mary's, uh, excuse me, Hannah's song has been compared to Mary's Magnificat. And both women are overcome with God's goodness. Mary says, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And this famous Magnificat of Mary is in response to the miracle birth of Jesus Christ, the the miracle announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, 
to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.